Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, uh, as we record this, it is day one of the World Cup, which under normal circumstances would mean you wouldn't see or hear from me for the next 28 days, but I'm not exactly feeling this one the way I have done with previous World Cups. But that said, I'm sure I'll be disappearing from time to time to watch more than a few matches. Uh, I kind of suspect that's a little bit more than you'll be doing. Um, Given your, how should we put this, studied indifference toward kickball, (laughs) is this this month of like wall-to-wall kickball coverage kind of a nightmare for you? Or are you finally going to succumb to the greatest sport in the world at last? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure I already succumbed to boxing, uh, which is the greatest sport in the world, or it can, at least can be the greatest sport in the world. Indeed. Um, now, th- this sport that you love, it isn't even the greatest sport called football. Come on. Um, but uh, <laughs> I figured that would that would really dig in. Um, but now, look, just because I don't much care for it doesn't mean that others shouldn't enjoy it. Um, I'll get a bit annoyed by the coverage the next 28 days you say seriously yes, four, four whole so. weeks of this Ugh. yes um but i suppose that's a minor complaint in, in the grand scheme of things now will i watch any of it maybe a little probably not much but you know i may i may flip on a usa match in the background if one is taking place at a convenient time and i will actually be sweating some england box scores i i, I don't know that i'll watch any of the games but I will check out the box scores because I made one wager uh, on, a, on a co-worker's recommendation. Uh, just about even money odds. Harry Kane and Phil Foden. Is that how his name is said? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, the two of them to score at least five total goals combined over the course of the World Cup. So I can now name exactly two soccer players participating in the World Cup. So there's that. Uh, but I also have this uh, this little wager. What, what do you think of that bet, Kieran? Kane and Foden, at least five total goals? Reasonable? Five combined? Yeah, yeah. I would think that's 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 pretty reasonable. For okay. reference, um, Harry, the, the person who scores the most in a tournament wins what's called the Golden Boot. And Harry Kane is the current holder of that. I think he scored okay. six by himself in the last World Cup tournament. All right. um, so, you know, and a couple of those are from penalties. But even if he goes down a bit, Foden is... is the the up and comer there for England, so yeah, it's a decent chance. Okay, you know, unless they get you know knocked out by the United States early. <laughs> so I have to root against USA now, huh? <laughs> or or well, you you can root for them to win in a six five slobber knocker. <laughs> right, there you go. All of the England games goals were scored by Foden and Kane, and there you go. Right, Sorted. although that would be six five for a soccer match. I, that sounds unrealistic. It's don't they improbable. don't they all went and one nil? No. <laughs> Don't some of them end 1-0 and people like me get well, complain yes. about how little scoring there is? Well, yes. Some okay. Do. Yes. But, okay. you know, some fights only have like 10 landed punches per round. Not many, but some. Right. But don't don't you try to bring this back to boxing? Oh wait, oh wait, we're a boxing podcast. Never mind. Oh actually. right, yes. We should we should probably re-engage on that actually. Right. <laughs> this is a boxing podcast. Um and coming up, uh, we will have the latest update on Kazakh middleweight Idos Yebasinoli, and we'll be speaking with our friend Dr. Margaret Goodman about fighters' health uh, and also about her induction into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. There hasn't been too much boxing to cover this past weekend or so, but we do have a couple fights to cover very quickly uh, and one fun one to preview. We're going to trial a brand new segment too and see how that works, but we're going to kick off 
this week's podcast with some news. Leading off with not one, but two fight announcements for 2023 featuring Javante Tank Davis. Yes, uh, Davis and Ryan Garcia announced on social media on Thursday that they'd agreed to fight in early 2023, although no date or site was included in that announcement. Uh, Showtime sports president Steven Espinoza soon followed up with a tweet of his own, quote, done deal. It's on all credit to Tank and Ryan. Lots of obstacles along the way, but they both stayed the course to give the fans the fight they want, end quote. Uh, the fight will be a Showtime pay-per-view, although DAZN, the network that Ryan Garcia fights on, will also have some pay-per-view distribution rights. And Dan Rayfield reported that April 15th is the working date and Las Vegas is the working location. There are still details to be worked out and obstacles to be overcome, perhaps most significantly the fact that Davis is due in court in February to answer charges related to an alleged hit-and-run accident in the early morning hours of November 5th, 2020 in Baltimore that injured four people. Uh, Additionally, Garcia says he's planning to take a warm-up fight between now and then, and we know that Davis is uh, taking a warm-up fight, and for a warm-up, it is a tough proposition. On January 7th in Washington, D.C., Davis will be taking on another Garcia, Hector Garcia, who bullied Chris Colbert out of his unbeaten record in February and then took the O from Roger Gutierrez in August. Kieran, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that Davis versus Ryan Garcia will indeed happen? And how dangerous of a challenge does Hector Garcia pose in the interim? To talk about the confidence thing, you know, the fact that Stephen put out a statement makes me a lot more confident than I otherwise would be. You know, he's pretty careful with his public statements, and I, I don't think he'd be putting his name to phrases like done deal right. if it wasn't, at least on one level, indeed a done deal. So even though there are seemingly details to be finalized, I, I suspect that both the date and the venue are more than aspirational. And uh, pretty much everything is poised to go ahead. I I wonder if all parties felt it was a good idea to announce this before the ink was fully dry, because it almost certainly ensures a better reaction to Davis against Hector Garcia, right? Right, So I think if after the disappointment of Crawford Spence, Tank announced his next fight and it was Hector Garcia, not Ryan Garcia, with no mention of King Rai, the reaction would not be great. But if you say, hey, look, we've got that big fight that you wanted basically sewn up, But in the interim, Tank is going to face Hector Garcia. Suddenly, the response is entirely different. It's, wow, that's awesome. We're getting the fight we want. And, wow, that's a pretty damn dangerous (laughs) interim bout to take. Well done, Tank. Uh, And that happens to be my reaction, too. Um, Look, is Tank going to start as a pretty big favorite against Hector Garcia? Absolutely. He's, He's more experienced, particularly in big fights. He's almost certainly a better fighter. But... As you mentioned, Garcia's had himself a heck of a 2022. Um, He's ruined two unbeaten records already. Um, He's an aggressive, take-no-prisoners kind of fighter. Um, He all but made Colbert quit during their fight. He doesn't seem like the kind of person to be even remotely intimidated by the occasion. I suspect Hector Garcia will see this as another magnificent opportunity, and he'll rise to it. And Davis is almost certain to find himself in a heck of a fight. The three-month gap, three-and-a-bit-month gap between the two should mean that assuming Davis nonetheless wins, he will have the necessary time to heal and recover from whatever damage he might get from the Hector Garcia fight. The one big potential sticking point for me for all of this happening is that court case. Mm. Um, When Tank and King Rai were talking about maybe meeting at the end of this year, that court case was also slated from around the same time, I think even like the week before fight week or something. And, And I wondered about that then. You have to figure this is a pretty serious situation that isn't just going to go away. 
all of that said, you know, again, I come back to Stephen's note. Showtime isn't going to start putting its weight behind a major pay-per-view like this without feeling at least reasonably confident or comfortable, I would guess, having done a legal assessment or an assessment of the jeopardy that Davis finds himself in. They must have made the calculation that the likelihood is greater that this is going to go ahead rather mm-hmm. than it isn't. So um, I, I, I bow to their expertise in that respect. But for me, that's the one aspect that kind of makes me think, well, maybe something's in the way here. Yeah, those those are all good points. And I hadn't really thought about the, the strategy behind announcing the Ryan Garcia fight and the way that it totally impacts the way that we feel about the Hector Garcia right. fight. Um, I mean, I was not expecting Tank to say, take on someone as good, as tricky, as skilled, as yeah. all around threatening to his perfect record as Hector Garcia. When I heard they were looking at interim fights, <laughs> I was not expecting it to be this. This is not a tune-up. Um, I'm not saying the Tank's going to lose it, and you know who knows? He could score a quick and easy KO, but on paper... This has some Eric Morales, Sahir Rahim vibe, yes. which uh, you may recall that that fight was a tune up for Morales to set up his rematch with Manny Pacquiao and it didn't go as planned. They went ahead with that rematch anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like Tank versus Ryan Garcia becomes kind of a three leg parlay bet. Um, I guess it, it was actually a four leg parlay bet where the first leg was ironing out all the details and agreeing on terms. And, and so that's done. One leg down now. Davis needs to beat Hector Garcia. Ryan Garcia needs to win his own interim fight. And Tank needs to not be ordered to go to jail before April 15th. Each individual leg, the outcome that we as boxing fans are seeking, I would say, is a favorite on each of those individual legs. I think even the court situation, sort of for the reason you said, that Showtime is is getting behind this, they must feel somewhat confident. I just feel like there's also a decent chance that potential jail time gets delayed to after April so that right. Davis can earn himself and other people around him money, as as was the case yeah. with Mayweather Cotto. Um, but, you know, the, this parlay of these three legs together, even if each individual leg is a favorite, once you, you have to parlay them them all, I'm not so sure it's a favorite to go three for three. Mm. But mm. look, it's, it's exciting just to have this to potentially look forward to. It's been... Such a disappointing second half of 2022. Yeah. It'll be nice to come into 2023 with hope. Hope is a good thing, Kieran. Maybe we the like best that. of things. I still believe in a place called hope. Yes, do you? Do you? I don't know. It's like a thing. <laughs> there's, there's like 40-year-olds who have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm not I mean, even sure what you're talking about. I was I was sort of quoting Shawshank Redemption. I'm not sure what you were doing. I was, I was quoting Bill Clinton. Oh. During, his, during his during his election, and I still believe in the place called Hope. Oh, uh, see, I was. You know what? Now that you, I hear your Clinton. It's not that far off from my Morgan Freeman. They're almost the same voice. So, <laughs> which says more about us than it does about <laughs> I think so. Yes. All right. We have a few other news items to note. Uh, Teofimo Lopez has another opponent for his December 10th bout at Madison Square Garden. He had been scheduled to face Jose Pedraza, but Pedraza has been ill. And had to withdraw. So Sandor Martin, uh, most famous for defeating Mikey Garcia in what turned out to be the final fight of Garcia's career, he steps in instead. Uh, and the kind of move we rarely see from a sanctioning body, um, the WBA, and this is one of those rare occasions where we're going to mention the sanctioning body, um, has ordered its women's junior lightweight titleist, Hyun Mi Choi, to face Alicia Baumgartner, holder of the other three 
quote, major belts in that division to produce an undisputed champion. Um, the reverberations continue following the collapse of negotiations between Terence Crawford and Errol Spence. Amantis Danionis, who's been waiting extraordinarily patiently for an opportunity to fight Spence for some time now, and Jerron Boots Ennis had separately petitioned to be granted an immediate shot at one or other of Spence's unified titles. But according to Jake Donovan of Boxing Scene, Neither may get their wish. Stanionis has been ordered to fight rising contender Virgil Ortiz. And meanwhile, Booth seems set to face Rashidi Ellis on the aforementioned Tank Davis Hector Garcia undercard. Uh, any thoughts about any of those things, Eric? Yeah, I think you can't go too terribly wrong with any of these welterweight options on the table. Yeah. Um, you know, Spence versus Boots Ennis while he waits for Crawford would be sensational. Spence versus Virgil Ortiz, also sensational. <laughs> I wasn't expecting either fight to happen so soon, and, and I guess I, I, I shouldn't expect them. And they don't make perfect business sense for really anyone involved. Yeah. Um, but for fans, what's not to love? But, but then these alternatives being presented... Ortiz Stanionis is a tremendous fight. Uh, Stanionis convinced me of his quality and his win over Rajab Butayev. This would be a tremendous clash of two up and comers with championship potential. And Ennis versus Ellis, although a bit confusing for the broadcasters because the surnames are so close, <laughs> yeah. um, but that would be the best test of Boots' career so far, probably. So th these are all good matchups. Any of these is preferable to Crawford versus David Avenisian. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> it's interesting about Baumgartner and Choi from the Alphabet Group. I'm not too familiar with Choi, but I know she has a nice record, 20-0-1, five KOs, though against fairly poor opposition. Nobody I'd heard of, nobody with a glistening record. My guess is that a Michaela Mayer rematch would be the tougher assignment and the bigger fight for Baumgartner, but... Certainly nothing wrong with unifying all the belts, you know, at least for 30 seconds until someone strips right. her. Um, as for the Teofimo opponent change, I'd call it a very mild disappointment. Um, Pedraza was not an opponent who got me pumped, but he was serviceable. Sandor Martin is also serviceable, maybe a half notch less serviceable. Um, it should be a nice showcase for Teofimo. Not much has really changed in that regard with the opponent switch. The best news of the week, though has to be reports that Idos Yubasinoli is showing significant improvement after being hospitalized and placed in a medically induced coma following his KO loss to David Morrell two weeks ago. And joining us now to talk about that situation and other elements of fighter health and safety is this week's guest. She's a great friend of the podcast, a familiar figure to fight fans everywhere. She is the former chief ringside physician for the Nevada State Athletic Commission and is the founder and chair of the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association, or VADA, as well as a newly minted member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame, Dr. Margaret Goodman. Margaret, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm, it's one of my biggest thrills is to be with both of you guys. <laughs> I, you may be uh, laying it on a little thick there. It can't really be one of your biggest thrills, but, but we'll, I should we'll probably take it. take it and not question it and just move on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Margaret, the, the latest news about Idos Yerbasinli is that he is reportedly awake and cognizant. He recognizes his family and may even be talking. Um, obviously, we don't want you to speculate on the specific prognosis of his case, but I'm hoping you can speak to just how encouraging and perhaps how rare and unusual it is to go from where he was to where he reportedly is in a fairly short space of time. Yeah, given what I know, and like I, like you just mentioned, we don't have a lot of the information, nor really should we. But 
But from having that kind of an experience happening ringside and from understanding how rare it is for someone to do that well, it seems like it's miraculous. And I don't know the individuals at the athletic commission that took care of him, but obviously uh, there's luck that that happens as well, but they must have done an incredible job in getting him to a hospital right away when something like that happens, uh, getting him treated right away as they did. Um, now, when they put athletes uh, or individuals that have suffered a, a brain hemorrhage like that into one of these coma situations to kind of quiet the brain and let it supposedly heal itself as much as possible. It was wonderful what they did. And he sounds like he's an extremely lucky individual. I mean, I guess this this brings us back to how does this actually happen? You know, and why is it so rare in so many instances? And why is it so rare that someone does this well, as we're hoping that he does, given all the reports that we have? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the rarity, are there specific encouraging precedents like this that, that come to mind uh, other ones that stand out who suffered brain brain injuries but then made a recovery what are what are some of the first ones on, on the positive uh, examples like this that come to mind boy i don't really know of that many positives for right. athletes that that are fighters specifically that had this profound of an injury to do this well um, we know of the case in New York, and I believe there was the case in Pennsylvania, um, the one in New York. I know that um, he has, is it Magomed, I think, right. had just severe disabilities. And I think some of that, now obviously, give or take, no one really knows, but sometimes the logistics and actually getting someone to a hospital in time. Um, obviously, I know of situations where it didn't do well. They didn't do well at all. Um, like in the case of Lavander jo Johnson, um, I mean, the case of uh, there was a Pedro Alcazar we had in Nevada. Right. And so when when people don't have that kind of access to the health care that they need and then unfortunately, there are situations in boxing and probably in MMA as much that we don't know about where it's it's just lethal to begin with. You know, it depends on how quickly a hemorrhage is starting. You know, in some of the cases that we know in boxing where there have been deaths, the hemorrhage is profound, it's immediate, and no matter what you do, the amount of brain damage that an individual suffers, you cannot recover from. So I think it, it varies, and we I just don't know, neither does anyone, uh, except for the medical people that took care of him and his family, is how severe it was at the onset. But it sure sounds like they did an incredible job, the athletic commission doctors and getting him to the hospital, the ER staff, and whoever treated him did a really good job, and, and then the rest is just luck. You mentioned the fact that he was placed in a medically-induced coma. Um, can you talk a little bit, explain for us, what that entails and, and and why it is done and how likely, you know, that, as you mentioned, that that might have been an important step in, in his possible recovery. You know, I don't know exactly what they did, but in instances where I've known of this in patients, um, they give just the kind of sedation that you would get if you were going to be undergoing surgery, um, whether or not they use phenobarbital or newer medications, um, like a fentanyl um, to put somebody really out of it to the point where they could undergo general anesthesia 
that would be kind of what you're thinking about. But in this particular instance, it quiets the brain. And they also feel that this helps some of the cerebral edema that happens or the swelling, because often it's not just the bleeding that that kills an individual or causes profound deficits. It's the swelling in the brain that happens after. And that's what makes it so severe and makes it much less likely that someone would recover. So I don't know exactly the drugs that they specifically use, but whatever it, they did use, it essentially it's giving medication that is going to allow you to essentially have no functions. That's why you're on a ventilator. That's why they're monitoring so closely someone's blood pressure. Um, they have limited responses, if any, unless they wake the individual up from the profound sedation. And it just, it's something that has recently been discovered over the last several years to be beneficial. We never used to do that kind of thing. And so Whatever drugs that they particularly used or whatever cocktail that they used in this individual, I mean, I think he just was very lucky besides and that they got him there so quickly and had him undergo treatment so fast. Mm. So, I mean, we've all said it basically that this is an inherently dangerous sport. There's only so much you can do. But uh, of course, the less danger that we can put fighters in, the better. From your perspective, are, are there specific things that you'd like to see done differently, whether doctors, corners, referees, commissions, et cetera. Are, are there things that over the years you've been wanting to see change that just haven't changed? Or, or is the sport, in your view, about as safe as they can make it without making it a totally different sport? You know, that's an interesting point, the last point that you mentioned. But obviously, there's going to be inherent dangers. Um, the problem is, in most instances, these types of injuries don't happen during the confines of a fight. They happen before the fighter even starts right. throwing punches that particular evening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot I've seen discussed on Twitter lately and, and something that I've always discussed and we just don't have the control over is what happens in the gym. You know, I think so many fighters early in their career believe the, or their trainers encourage the importance of sparring. And I think for fighters that do well later in life, um, not only at the end of their career, but after they retire is just not taking headshots. You know, it's almost like how many, how many breaths do you have before you die? How many headshots do you have before you develop chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE? Or how many do you have before you end up with some serious injury? So I think it's, it's a multi-pronged thing in the sense that it's having trainers and people with a fighter and the fighter themselves taking that responsibility to understand what they can endure in the lead up to a fight between fights keeping themselves healthy with their diet and their weight management, depending on what weight class they're in, fluid management, um, staying away from drugs that could contribute to um, cerebral injury or long-term problems later on, stopping alcohol, which is a big problem, unfortunately, in so many fighters. You know, we did a we did a, a YouTube video some time ago. I don't know if you guys probably haven't seen it, but we did it for the fighters that enroll in VADA. And one of the individuals we interviewed was Andre Ward. And Andre spoke from the bottom of his heart on how it's so important to stay away from alcohol and, and mm. just understanding the risks that that can bring to an athlete. 
And so I think it's a lot of it is understanding that. And then you're dealing with the issues ringside, you know, what what kind of care was the fighter getting before he he got his license or he or she got their license? What tests did they undergo? Did they undergo recent MRI studies, neurological exams, uh, blood tests, things of that nature? And then how well are they examined before the fight? And then what happens in the fight? And, you know, I always remember and I might have even mentioned this some time ago on your podcast but I always mention, remember Larry Merchant, who obviously we both love and miss mm-hmm. having him ringside, is one thing he, someone asked him, you know, how do you know when a fight should stop? And he always said, and I remember this when I used to work, um, heeding his words, that sometimes it's when the crowd starts to get real quiet. That nobody mm. is yelling for one over the other and not when people are going stop the fight, but when they start to get quiet, they've seen enough. And you get in this vortex when you're sitting ringside. And this does happen not only to mm. the referee, but to the physicians as well. And the commission is it you can't see the, the forest through the trees and mm. you can't sometimes be able to separate yourself. You end up in this um just this pattern where you want to see the fight come to its natural conclusion, but you don't want to interfere and you're just kind of waiting for the last round. And it's a terrible thing that happens. I, uh, it's not just something that, that I've experienced that other doctors that I know have experienced. It's something that just happens where the outsiders can say, yeah, this is, this really needs to stop. But Unfortunately, you're all caught up in this when you're working the fight. You're part of this team there with the corner and the referee and judges and everything. And you can't sometimes make that determination. And lastly, one thing that I will say is, well, actually, there's two more things. One, at the end of a fight, even if it's not a serious injury, thank God, that's occurred, the triaging of that individual can sometimes be too limited. In other words, follow-up rest, suspension periods of time? Do they need further medical care? And then the only other thing I would say that I often don't see as much, and I don't watch as many fights anymore, but I can tell you that sometimes I've noticed that I often don't see ring physicians recommend that a fight stop. And I know, you know, the whole Mm. rule thing, oh, it's only the referee can stop. But it's also on the recommendation of the physician. And I see too much. And I understand the pressure there for physicians to kind of sit back and wait for the corner to do it or the referee to do it. And and they don't get up and do it enough. And I understand the, the fear of that. And I understand the repercussions of doing that and what happens and et cetera. It's a very, very tough job. And next to a boxing referee, I don't think there's anything more difficult, but I, I, I've noticed that more and more. And I think that's, I don't know what the reason for that is, but I think that's something that can be an impairment and an impediment to a fighter doing well. I think we all have a conflicted relationship with this sport. I think any of us who care even slightly about the boxers feel that conflict do you ever find yourself on the edge of being done with it or is this pull too strong you know it's funny that you said that um when i stopped working ringside i i just said that's it for me i ended up um looking at thoroughbred racing i ended up um getting a horse learned how to ride dressage And just stopped looking at boxing. But one thing that bothered me um, was when I started 
working with some of my friends and understanding what was going on in thoroughbred racing, you know, which is now under more government control than boxing could be, uh, sadly, is that there wasn't a lot of drug testing in in boxing and MMA as there was in racing. You know, the horses get tested, the jockeys get tested, but why weren't our our fighters getting tested, you know, and there was this kind of feeling that because it's boxing and all the fighters coming in with trunks and gloves and they're standing there alone in the ring, that they would never use performance enhancing drugs. And that was something that Flip Omansky, you know, really started with this commission that was carried on when we started putting pressure um, and trying to educate more and more commissions about it. So I think substance abuse, performance enhancing drugs, all that kind of thing um, kind of brought me back into it. But to be real honest with you, just like I said earlier, I don't watch many fights. I don't think I could do it anymore. Mm, I think that it is, um, you know, just putting my neurologist hat on. It is hard for me to watch a fighter take any punishment. Mm. And um, I just, I don't, I don't think I could do it anymore. I think when I first left, I was like, how could I not do this? I miss this. And, you know, this was one of the loves of my life. I couldn't do it anymore. I, it's too hard. And when you see fighters in a tough fight like that, it just hurts too much. So I'm kind of glad that I don't have to do it anymore. But I still want the fighters to do well and be safe and try to work on that level. All right. All right. Um, one thing I'm I'm very curious for your take on is this particular trend we've seen the last few years of more older retired fighters coming back to engage in exhibitions. They usually aren't quite real fights. You know, the, the boxers typically aren't going all out, but still these are 50 year old, sometimes 60 year old men taking punches. Does this exhibition trend particularly worry you? Oh God, I think it's horrible. Okay. I really do. I just think it's horrible. You know, I think I've mentioned this before is that, you know, as unfortunately I'm in that category, but as we get older, our brain shrinks and there's more of a susceptibility to brain hemorrhage. And there's probably an increased susceptibility to develop CTE from taking punches to the head um, as you get older. So to me, I just can't, I can't rationalize it. I just can't. Mm. And you know, when you deal with other medical issues that could be um, an impediment to these individuals like hypertension, heart disease that people aren't aware of that allow a fighter to get in the ring at an age like that. It's just it's ridiculous. It makes absolutely no sense. And I don't care if it's an exhibition, if whatever it is, there shouldn't be that exposure at that time in your life. And I'm not talking about ageism. I'm just saying it's just not a good thing to do. And I understand how we all want to see the people that we loved that, you know, brought our heart racing when they were in the ring, but it's just not a smart thing to do. And I don't understand how it's permitted so often. And I don't, I understand why the fighters want to do it. You know, there's all those things that, you know, they deal with wanting the crowd and the adulation and somebody calling them champ again, and then the financial benefits of it. But to me, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. For, I, for the fans who really want to see those guys, of course, you know, that's kind of what YouTube is for. The, wouldn't, <laughs> right. wouldn't, you, wouldn't you rather see them in their primes than see them kind of going through the motions now? I I, I share your sort of there, there's there's not really a lot of positive 
from our perspective to seeing these guys yeah. come out and do it other than maybe, you know, they feel they can earn a little paycheck from it. But it, as you say, it's probably it doesn't seem as worth it as as it was when they were in their prime, especially from a health standpoint. Yeah. Right. yeah. Here's another sort of weird development that's happening. So Dana White is starting up a slap fighting league. <laughs> And the Nevada Commission has agreed to license it and regulate it. And so on the one hand, you might think, ah, oh, open-handed slaps don't sound too dangerous. But you're not allowed to defend yourself. And I've certainly seen footage of people get knocked out cold at these kind of events. What's your take on all of this? Well, I'm kind of hesitant to comment on it too much. But what I would say is I don't see a rationale for it. I, do, I, I, I just feel that it, you know, you can argue, oh, it's not a series of punches like happens in boxing or MMA, it still puts an individual at risk that can't protect themselves. And to me, I, I'm not really sure why a network would even want that. I'm, I understand why people might enjoy watching it for a very short period of time. <laughs> I'm not saying that these people aren't athletic or trained in certain aspects, but how, how I, it just doesn't make any sense to me, but we'll just have to see. But I, I hope that, uh, it doesn't become something more widespread, but I, I, the risks are there. And I don't know why anyone, the athletes would want to subject themselves to that kind of punishment without mm. having any, any protection of, it just, it makes absolutely no sense to me. One, one of the good things about doing these interviews over zoom now uh, is that I was able to actually see the extent to which your eyes rolled when, as Kieran started to say the word slap fighting. You like couldn't, couldn't help yourself, Margaret. I know, I know. And I really didn't want to comment too much on it, but I, I just think that it's just not a good thing. It's just right. not a good thing for anybody's brain. All right, we... we you came into this interview so excited to talk to us, and now we've just like dragged it down with one depressing topic after another. But <laughs> but we're going to end it on a, on a positive note. We got it. We got to ask you a, a totally upbeat uh, question, upbeat topic to to finish with. We want to know about your experience at Hall of Fame induction weekend oh. in, in June. What what were some highlights for you, or or any surprises? Anything you experienced or felt that you weren't expecting? You know, it's funny. I was kind of ambivalent, not about obviously being inducted. I mean, that was incredible, what an incredible honor. And I hope that in some respects, it brought more attention to ringside medicine and performance enhancing drugs and all of that. I, I was kind of apprehensive because I hadn't seen all these people in so, so many years or months as, as well. But it was, it was very unusual from that standpoint, seeing all these fighters that I had worked their fights before and talking mm. to them and sitting with them um, I hadn't been with Roy Jones Jr. for a long time, and it was really cool being with him and Leila Ali. I mean, just, you know, everyone. It was just wonderful seeing them in person and seeing how they're doing. Um, a couple weren't doing as well as I had hoped after all the brain trauma that they've been exposed to. But the actual Hall of Fame, what an incredible place. I mean, it was just wild. I also was blown away by how many fans there were. Yeah. And, yeah. oh, my God, these people, it was just wonderful. I didn't think anyone would even know who I was. I was kind of embarrassed in that sense. And, you know, to have these people just come up to you, it, it really was incredible how much that they love the sport, appreciate the sport, understand the sport. 
and all the memorabilia that they had and just the whole induction ceremony. It was so very cool. I, I just, it was really an experience that I, I'll never forget, you know, and I had that parade and anyway, I was just astounded and really pleased to see how many fans there are. You know, you always hear, oh, boxing's dead and people just want to see, you know, ground and pound. But I think it is a real testament to the sport and what Ed Brophy has created there. And obviously it was a little bit heightened because there were three years of classes. So that made it even more cool of all the fighters that I got to see. But it, it was just it was just wonderful. It was just a wonderful thing. I, I'll never forget it. And it was a true honor in my whole life. And the nicest fans too, aren't they? I mean, as well as being super knowledgeable, it was, I mean, we experienced it as well, just yes. getting a chance to talk to folks. They're just super happy to be there. Yes, it was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. I'm so glad you guys were there too. How we ended up missing you and not being able to get you, get you I on, know. I don't know. I we don't were looking know. for you actively. I, so know. I don't know. It was weird. I, I don't know how that happened. I think <laughs> I would have enjoyed, you know, chatting more with people, boxing people, but uh, it was just such a rushed event too, because there was so much going on. And then they had you going to that high school where there were like a thousand people there wanting you to sign stuff. And I mean, it was just amazing. I, the only thing that I, I wish that they would do, and, and it was something that I know Flip and I would love to do is, is they had those sessions, you know, those speaking sessions uh, where they were asking the referees questions. I think that not enough is really understood to the average fan about ringside medicine and what goes on and what doesn't go on and how fighters get licensed and turned down and what happens, you know, more than just the, the ring doctor seeing the fighter at the end of the fight, that they had a kind of a, 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 a you know, a nice event where you could sit and talk to the fans about that. So hopefully maybe they'll do something like that down the road. Well, I don't think you'd have to twist Ed Brophy's arm too hard to, uh, if, if you suggest you'd like to come back at a future induction weekend and, and be yeah. one of the speakers for one yeah. of those sessions. So That's good. <laughs> well, you know what, Margaret? I still think, I'm sure you'll agree, there are far too few people in this business and this sport who really look out for the fighters. And among those who have done you have always stood really tall and uh, that's why you're really appreciated. And that's why you were inducted into the hall of fame and it was really deserved. And it's oh, always a joy to talk to you. So thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about all these things. And we hope we didn't drag you down too much over the course. No, of <laughs> but I have one comment. One thing I have to bring up. Hmm. I, 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 do I have a moment to just say yeah, what you have as absolutely. many moments as you like? Well, I can tell you, I am still really upset about Tom and Giselle. I mean, <laughs> it's just so frustrating. You know, at first I thought it was his fault because, you know, he wouldn't retire. And then I'm worried about him because he needs to retire, you know, and he's not having the best season. And then we find out she's in Costa Rica with her <laughs> trainer. I mean, I'm I'm still really upset about that. And because of that, I will no longer even think about going to Costa Rica. But <laughs> that, that you, you've been wanting said, to get that off your chest, haven't you? I'm sorry. I just had to bring that up. That's wow. OK. Well, I, I think we know now if you should ever decide to start your own podcast, we know what what lane you're going to go in. It's uh, <laughs> celebrity couples gossip. Why did they split up? This is this is clearly uh, where your passion lies. Uh, well, maybe a little bit better than watching people get hit in the head for a living. But, but still, this is something we can really chat about and not, you know, 
throw our two cents in. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> next next time we know we'll 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 restructure the interview accordingly. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Margaret, we could talk more so about polar bears too. Oh yes, that there too. you go. Yes. <laughs> okay. Next time, next time you come on, everything but boxing. How's that? Okay. Okay. That sounds. Uh, that's good. a deal. Thank We're you. Okay Thank that. you so much. And I'm so glad you guys are there because you understand the sport. Not everyone does. And and so many journalists are afraid to talk the truth about the sport, what's good, what's bad, what needs to change. And so I really, really appreciate being with you here today. And I'm so glad you guys are, are working as hard as you are for Showtime. It's great. Thank, Thank you, you so Margaret. much, Margaret. Great talking really to you as it. always. All right. Okay, our thanks again to Margaret. That was great. She's always such a delight to talk to. And uh, the, the Tom and Giselle note at the end, <laughs> chef's kiss there. She she had me a little nervous. I, I, yes. I didn't know what she was about to say. Um, I seriously would listen to a Margaret Goodman celebrity gossip pod if she decides right? to do that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, let's talk about some fights. Uh, it was a slow weekend in the ring, but a few results worth mentioning. In Guadalajara, Mexico... A total mismatch. Every boxing observer on the planet criticized turned out to be, well, a total mismatch as middleweight Jaime Munguia stayed unbeaten with a third round knockout of club fighter Gustavo Coria. A left took to the body, finishing the pointless exercise. Uh, also lasting only three rounds was light heavyweight Anthony Yard's tune-up fight against Stefani Koikov in Telford, England, setting up Yard versus Artur Beterbiev on January 28th. A right uppercut ended this one, though it was bodywork, really, that set up the finish. I would say this exercise was slightly less pointless than Mungia Coria in that Yard hasn't been as active as he'd like, so it was useful for him to shake some rust off. But the most interesting result of the weekend was actually a heavyweight sideshow four-rounder in Austin, Texas, as Hasim Rockman Jr. was to take on MMA fighter Vitor Belfort, but Belfort contracted COVID-19 and had to pull out on short notice and instepped former NFL defensive end Greg Hardy at 320 pounds. Hardy weighed 94 pounds more than Rachman and flashed some decent skills to go with his size as he dropped Rachman in the second round with a straight counter right hand and won 39-36 on all cards. The combination of the size mismatch, Hardy being fairly competent as a boxer, and Rockman being something less than an elite prospect, it was all just too much for Rockman to overcome. Uh, Kieran, your thoughts on any of these fights, the, the two expected blowouts or the one surprisingly entertaining heavyweight scrap? Well, as you kind of alluded to, not all third round knockouts are the same, right? <laughs> um, um, Yard against an admittedly overmatched opponent. I thought he looked good. He had a plan. His defense was tight. His punches were short and sharp. His combinations were quick and varied. He knew what he was aiming to do. He remained focused throughout and banging to the body and the switch into uppercuts through the guard. He looked, again, against an overmatched opponent, like an elite-level contender, which we know he is. And the reason that we're okay with this is that Anthony Yard has stepped up to the plate before. He's taken on Sergei Kovalev and done very well, and now he's doing the ultimate stepping up to a plate. Um, he's taking on Artur Berbiev. You literally cannot ask for more from a light right. heavyweight contender than that. So he's entitled to have this. And like you said, he was shaking out some ring rust too. You'd want him to do that before going into such a major challenge. And so we look at him, we think, he looked pretty good. Job done. Move on. Well done, Anthony. In contrast, I mean, I just don't know. Do we even know what Mungia is anymore? You know, right. a, a 154... 
he was somewhat overpowering opponents with his with his strength he wasn't always the most elegant looking guy in there but he always showed signs he was learning he had aggression he had energy and he moved up to middleweight and certainly to my surprise he showed initially i thought that he was adding technical skills um as well to his game to compensate for not being able to bully folks in the ring the same way but the last year or two gosh he's stagnated and and i don't know why is it because his promoters realized that he has a ceiling and that that ceiling is lower than maybe we thought it was and that's why he's being matched the way he is has he maybe not been looking great in the gym is he not dedicated he looks a little soft lately it must be said um it's hard to tell which is the chicken and which is the egg is he starting to look uninspired in the ring because he's uninspired by his opposition or are his like flat performances in the ring are they what are causing him to get less than stellar matchups it just looks and feels like he's drifting through his contests right now. I mean, he won that one comfortably. He was never in any danger. He looked bored early. He looked unthreatened by Korea early. I don't know what's going on with Jaime Munguia. Um, He needs something to put his career back on the path to relevance. He's had the opportunity to take some more meaningful fights, and he's turned them down. So I, I just don't know. What an interesting career Jaime Munguia has been already. Um, yeah. Interesting to see where he goes. Well... And as for Hardy against uh, Rackman Jr., well, maybe now Rock Jr. understands why opponents don't like facing people who are way heavier than they were expecting. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it was what it was. Rackman Jr. has apparently chosen his career path, and and there you go. Um, I have to be honest. I don't have a tremendous amount to say about this. Any, even even with the enormous weight difference, any pretty decent heavyweight prospect should have been able to come out of that um okay you know it it says a lot like you said he's he's not considered an an elite prospect we know what his dad said to us about how hard he trains i just rather suspect there was a fair bit of schadenfreude being experienced by a fair number of observers i I, but i hope rackman jr look if he's gonna do these sideshow kind of fights and possibly even lose these well that's that's one path for him or he can choose to actually be really dedicated and make something of a pro career we'll see right not too much to get excited about next weekend. Uh, in London on the zone, unbeaten heavyweight Jermaine Franklin takes on by far the biggest challenge of his career when he faces Dillian White. Uh, also in London on ESPN Plus, Zach Parker and John Ryder meet for a super middleweight belt. Um, one fight definitely worth getting excited about is at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, where Jose Zapeda and Regis Progre meet for a 140-pound belt. Progre is 27-1 and with 23 KOs. His only loss by majority decision to Josh Taylor. Zapeda is 35-2 and with 27 KOs, and he scored a 10-round decision win and a first-round KO since his multi-knockdown fight of the year slugfest win over Ivan Baranchik in October 2020. Eric, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume you might be mildly interested in White Franklin, but that you're definitely into Pro Grazer Peter. You may be overestimating my interest in White Franklin. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> even mildly interested. <laughs> not quite there. Uh, Franklin underperformed on Showtime televised yeah. cards one or two times too many. So I'm presently checked out on him. If he beats White impressively, maybe I'll check back in. Uh, but yeah, you are correct that I am fully on board with Progray Zapeda. It's a great fight, and it should be closer to even money at the sportsbooks than it is. I found Zapeda at plus 215 a couple of weeks hmm. back, so I pounced on that. I do think he's the underdog here, but I don't think he should be more than like a plus 150 dog. Um, I love this fight. 
I wish it wasn't on pay-per-view, but yeah. alas, it is. And so I will be ordering it on Thanksgiving Saturday. The promoter, Marv Nation, is bound to lose money, but they can have my 40 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is. Uh, well, actually, they can have Showtime's because <laughs> I'll expense it. But that's beside the point. I would pay my own money if I had to. Yes. Um, do not be surprised if on next week's podcast we're debating whether Pro Grey Zapata is the new leader in the yeah. clubhouse for fight of the year. It's just a fantastic matchup. Arguably two of the top 340 pounders on the planet. And as you mentioned, it's in Carson, California. That detail can't hurt. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. It's time for a new segment that we're going to experiment with. Um, uh, was that the rubbing of hands? That wow. I was, I'm surprised you could hear that. I was <laughs> about to say to the, out loud, you didn't hear it, but I just rubbed my hands together. But yes, you did hear it. I rubbed my hands together. Well, I'm excited. All right. Um, we're not entirely sure how it's going to look. Um, we're not sure if it's going to look exactly the same each time. We're kind of playing with it on the fly. We just came up with the idea just yesterday or the day before. Right. Um, but for now, we're calling it Fight of the Week. The idea is that one of us picks a fight, offers the other three clues to see if he can guess it. The fight doesn't necessarily have to be tied to any date or anniversary, but it can be. Uh, this anniversary doesn't have to be during the week it comes up on the podcast. But again, it can be. There are no prizes here. If it's not during the week of the podcast, it's not an anniversary at all, right? <laughs> right. Well, they, isn't that how anniversaries well, they, work? You know, exactly. Okay. Um, uh, there are no prizes, no points, just an excuse to bring up a bit of boxing history, I think, and chat about fights that we've liked. So, um, right, let's do this then. Are you ready? Uh, I guess let's so. I'm not quite sure what to expect, but uh, I'll rub my um, hands together one more time. Okay. Here Very we go. Good. All right. Excellent. Well done. All right. <laughs> uh, number one. Uh, so, although the venue at which this fight took place still stands, it has had a different name for a number of years. It's your number okay. one. Okay. So I should so I should think about it, talk it through a little, and make a guess, and then I'll get another hint. Is that how we're doing this? We could do it any way we want, really, and see. Right. Or you can just wait until I give you all three clues, and you can put them all together and see. I feel like it would maybe be more fun to, for me to take some stabs along the way. Okay. So right. so with that hint. A venue that has changed names. Obviously, we already we just mentioned the uh, former StubHub Center, former whatever else it's been called uh, in Carson, California, that is now Dignity Health Sports Park. That is one venue that occurs to me that has changed names. Um, so I'll just uh, I'll just I'll just go with that and throw out a great fight from there. Let's say if I happen to nail this on one guess and you don't even get to give your second and third clues, right. that would be something. But let's say uh, Israel Vasquez, Rafael Marquez, two. Is that the fight? It is not. Okay. All right. Uh, second clue. Yes. The loser has since passed away. Um, we've never had the winner on any of our podcasts, to my recollection, and I believe I, we'd recollect it, but I've certainly interviewed him in the past. I don't know if you have or not, but a previous outlet of yours has covered him in the past. Okay, the loser has passed away. Uh, I'm trying to think so. But the winner is someone... We don't. You don't believe we've had on a podcast. No, we'd know. I'll we say definitely that. have not had on a podcast. We definitely okay, have. Okay, so I that's... certainly interviewed him, and okay. one of your previous outlets actually featured him a lot. Okay, so that I, I would assume you're tipping toward the Ring magazine, having featured this person a lot. Um, is there someone that Oscar De La Hoya, who is coming right to mind as someone the Ring featured a lot, 
defeated who is no longer alive. Nobody is rushing straight to mind. I'm pretty stumped at this point. I'm not even going to wager a guess because I'm not coming up with one and I don't want to take forever trying to think of one. So uh, I will take my third uh, my third clue, please. I will tell you, you're at the right level of fame when you're thinking about Oscar de la Hoya. Um, and I will say for the final one, the finish is iconic. If you've seen any boxing, you would recognize the finish. You could put different boxers' faces on the actual fighters' bodies and you'd know exactly what the fight was if you've seen really any boxing in the last several decades. Okay. An iconic finish where the winner is a super duper star level fighter who's been featured a lot in the ring. Um, but the loser is no longer alive and it took place at a venue that still exists, but has changed names. Could that, could the venue, is it like, is it the, the great Western forum, which I think has changed names and used to be a popular fight venue. It is not that venue. It's not that venue. Hmm. I'm not. You are with, you are on the right side of the Mississippi with these guests <laughs> for venues. Okay. All right. Uh, but I'm, am I in the right state? I've been in California twice. You are not. Okay. So that probably makes it Las Vegas. Do you want a bonus clue? Uh, I think I think I need a bonus clue because so Fortuitously, far Fortuitously, mm -hmm. its anniversary is this week. It wasn't my intention to pick one. That's it, I just wanted to pick a, a a fight that came to mind, and its anniversary just so happens to be this week okay so a november fight with an yes. iconic finish probably in las vegas at a venue that's name has changed yes um the loser is not alive the winner is a superstar boy oh boy i am uh, you're gonna be mad now because okay. you're, you're getting very all close. right i i think i am going to request that you tell me the year of the fight or would that would that make it too obvious it will but that's fine okay i think you yeah i'm, I'm, I'm at, at that point. point i'm getting nowhere <laughs> uh, the list the, 1986 okay so that was the year of uh that was the year of Hagler mugabe but it's not that because the uh, it is the winner who's not alive anymore. Uh, although, is John Mugabe also not alive? Uh, regard sure, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> Regardless, that's not it. Day. That's not it. Okay. Uh, 86. Big... F um, what was that now? I, I was just thinking of uh, Barry McGuigan and Stevie Cruz was 86, but Barry McGuigan is very much alive. Um, Wasn't that at Caesars anyway? Maybe I, the, the 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 whole venue changing names things has isn't helping me much because I'm not thinking of what the what that venue could be. So let's see, '86 we had. Oh, so is it? Ah, okay. I think I know. I I, I, I have I have no idea what the venue of this fight okay. was, but is it Tyson Burbick? It is Tyson Burbick. Okay. All right. Uh, yes, that is an iconic finish, and I just wasn't picturing it. And uh, yes, the winner was featured in Ring Magazine and pretty much anywhere else that I anywhere. would have. Uh, and uh, yes, I too have interviewed him one time, but we have definitely never had him on a podcast. Uh, yes, I, did. I didn't know you'd interviewed him. I was trying to—I was trying to recall whether you had or not. I mean, obviously, the, I knew that Nigel had done it a bunch with Ring, right. But. So the only time I interviewed him was over the phone for my Tyson Douglas oral history for Playboy. 
That was that ah. was the only time that I've spoken to Mike, and and he was great. It was just absolutely a delight. He was not holding anything back, or uh, you know, very very open about uh, you know uh, planting his seed all over Japan during training camp and so <laughs> forth. So. When Mike decides that he wants to open up to you in an interview, he's the best. Mm-hmm. When he when he just like he's just so completely he can be either incredibly open, which he was for the one time that I sat down with him, and uh, or you know quite the opposite. And I get the impression that nowadays it's far more likely to be the open, even oversharing Mike than the than the not sharing surly Mike. I think. Yeah, yeah, usually. Um, but uh, this was this was fun. I think this this the, I I actually like the format of this game, even though I didn't ultimately get there. And I and I sort of like the the unintentional fourth clue of when stumped, then you get the year. Yeah, as the fourth clue to really help uh, zero. The venue, it in. by the way, was the Hilton, which and Hilton took their name off that property back in like 2013, something like that, and it's now like Westgate Resorts or something. Oh, okay, that. all right. I didn't realize that's what Hilton uh, became, but and I and yeah, I had no idea where the fight was. So so in this case, the first clue did me no good. The second okay. clue should have I should have thought of Tyson at some point as you were uh, and then the iconic fish. those were good clues you, it was I think just the right difficulty level I okay. wonder how many listeners were playing along and thinking oh I would have gotten this by now versus whether everyone was pretty much stumped like me but I, I like the format I think we uh, should uh, plow ahead next week I will uh, I will quiz you with a fight of the week yeah, it's gonna be. It'll be quite interesting to see how many times we end up really kicking ourselves. As you were very much on the like, you'd have been furious with yourself if you hadn't gotten it. Well, not furious. That's completely over. <laughs> you would have been, you know. You'd have... Right. I don't think that highly of myself, so I, you know, there's my my <laughs> you my mildly castigated yourself. Right. Right. Had I not at some point thought of Mike Tyson, that that would have been pretty sad. So yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we're glad you like that challenge because it's time for another one. All right. <laughs> it is now time. For the top five challenge, um, we just talked, well, you just talked about Rufus Progre <laughs> against right. Jose Zapata. And Progre, of course, is one of the most famous boxing sons of the Big Easy, New Orleans. Your challenge this week is to name your top five fighters from the Bayou State, Louisiana. And don't worry, there are a number of pre-existing lists already. <laughs> okay out there you will not have to like start going through you know box rec or whatever looking for folks from louisiana the, the lists are out there from you to pick from okay. i made sure of that before i before i <laughs> hit you with this um so and the reason i picked it is also it's a little surprising there are a couple of names that i thought they're from louisiana i had no idea at all hmm. uh so it might be a little bit of fun um okay. you shouldn't have to do too much research but perhaps you like me might go oh how interesting i didn't expect that Right. Okay. Yeah, I may learn something uh, because right off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of anyone uh, from Louisiana. But other than uh, Muhammad Ali, the famously the Louisiana Lip, that was that was his nickname. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. There's one who's a very famous fight. We've probably talked about him in like past matchups and stuff like that. And I saw that name, and I'm like, he's from Louisiana. That is not what I expected at all. So there you go. You may well same way. I like that you have just opened up an avenue for we really have no excuse for ever running out of ideas for top fives because we have 40, <laughs> 49 more lists we can do whenever we can't think of something good. Yes, yes the Vermont and Alaska ones will be challenging. <laughs> right. OK, maybe not 49, but, yeah. you know, a good a good 20 others that we could yeah. probably do. 
There you go. All right, that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Very many thanks to Margaret Goodman for joining us and again for choosing to use our platform to express our Tom and Giselle concerns. That was very sweet. Um, <laughs> we will be back next week with a look back at Progreza Peda and a look ahead to the return of Tyson Fury, among other things. Until then, thanks for listening. Uh, a happy Thanksgiving to those who celebrate it. Be safe, be kind, and be well.